From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast for the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Very different about the Keck Center and other centers with additive. Well, there's several of them. But we, we saw that early on, this, these, equi- this, these pieces of equipment are very expensive, right? Especially maintaining them. Uh, at that time, we probably already had like 20, right? We had uh, even big machines, you know, uh, big FDM machines. We had, uh, you know, we, we got the metal system. But also something that we learned early on is to start working with industry. So within the tech center, there's a recharge center that we actually do services for, for the outside. And we kind of started that. That was Frank Medina. Frank is an associate professor and director of technology and engagement at UTEP and the WM Keck Center for 3D Printing Innovation. Frank is a world-renowned expert in the area of additive manufacturing and electron beam melting. He has over 18 years of experience in AM and has educated over 1,000 scientists and engineers in the areas of metals, technology, processes, and advanced applications. He has published and contributed to over 120 peer-reviewed journal and conference proceedings. Additionally, he has been awarded nine additive manufacturing patents with several other patents pending. Throughout his career, his research interests have centered around additive manufacturing with a heavy emphasis on the acceleration and advancement of the manufacturing readiness of metal AM technology. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today, Frank. I'm excited for this conversation. You have a great depth of experience in the AM industry from a lot of different perspectives. So maybe let's just start at the beginning. What got you interested in engineering and, and maybe even 3D printing? Okay, perfect. Yeah, so so uh, <clears throat> I started kind of young in engineering. Uh, my dad was doing a master's in, at UTEP, actually. In industrial engineering, and that's kind of kind of what got me all involved, started in it. When he was here at, at UTEP doing his master's, he started kind of late to get his master's. I think he was 35, 40. And uh, he met a professor or a consultant that kind of got me into engineering. So I started working at an at a engineering consulting firm really young when I was in high school. Um, so what happened there, that's kind of when I, it kicked in that I needed to get a PhD in mechanical engineering, because that's what he did, right? He was a professional witness, and he would have all these cool cases. You know, I was kind of like his, uh, you know, I would do everything, you know, from cleaning to cutting grass to everything. But he kind of, I kind of grew up with this company, which was an engineering consulting, which was called Southwest Engineering. Dr. West, I was the one that kind of guided me through everything, you know. And uh, from there, I graduated high school, and I really got into engineering. So UTEP has a really good engineering school. And uh, I started going into mechanical engineering. Right? And in 97, that's when I really got together with my mentor, uh, Dr. Ryan Wicker, right? He's had the world uh, knowledge of experience, especially in additive. But when we started early on, when I started working for him as an undergrad in 97, we didn't really have an additive manufacturing lab. We had an engine lab that we kind of he had started earlier, and I kind of started helping him uh, with that. 
And what happened there, you know, we were doing, we were very successful with engines, with internal combustion, you know, we were doing a lot of different challenges, uh, ethanol vehicle challenge, you know, GM was putting all these challenges and we were very successful. But then Dr. Wicker had an opportunity with another professor that he's no longer with us, Dr. Quintana. He was the chair of the department and he had some funding. And he said in 2000, he said, well, I have this money and I need to do something with manufacturing. And I don't know what to do. And that's when Dr. Wicker, you know, jumped in. And that's when we first bought our first FDM 3000. So back in 2000. So we had the engines lab. We started this new laboratory, which was called the, the Border Bio Biomedical Manufacturing Lab in 2000, right, with this little old FDM 3000, which we, we thought was really, really cool. Right. We started well, right away. We started uh, building parts for local companies. I don't know if you know, El Paso is a border town uh, next to El Paso is Juarez. Right. So there's tons of maquiladoras in the area. So we started using this FDM 3000 to build parts for like Delphi, um, other companies in the border area. So we started looking at all that. Uh, what, was your, what was your first impression of 3D printing? Kind of was that was that your first experiencing that machine, or had you just kind of been? You no, know, in two thousand, that was our my, my first experience. You know, I've I've seen it. I was looking at it, but we never really we didn't have that. Uh, you know, I still remember my first time that I used AutoCAD. I was only that's the other thing with uh, with my with my experience. So when I was working for this engineering consulting company, they actually sent me out to take uh, CAD courses. So I was going to a local community college, you know, they were paying for it for me to, to become a CAD guy, right? And that's when I started experiencing 3D, you know, with, with AutoCAD. I, I forgot what version it was. It was, the, I don't know if remember it was 12 or something. I don't remember. But I started learning that. And that's when we started looking, you know, to do 3D parts at that time was very, very hard, right? The, you started with 2D, you would do an extrusion. It was very and STL files were, were really bad, right? So when we got the FDM 3000, you know, and we started using AutoCAD to create some of these models, it was, it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it was hard to create a model and then we would print it. And then, you know, there were simple geometries, but it was really, really different. Um, the thing that really took us aside, aside when we started using this FDM 3000 was we came up with an idea at that time, I don't know if you remember, there was the, that's when the soluble support came out for okay. waterworks, right? So when, when this happened, the waterworks came out, we were trying to get into the medical side. And the thing that we were working with another mentor of mine, Chris Elkins from Stanford University, he's a really smart guy. What happened, we developed this process that we could actually invert the materials, right? So instead of printing with ABS plastic, Right, we would actually, as the built material, we would build with the waterworks material. So what happened there is we developed these soluble molds and the people are still using them in the industry. Right, we were really close with Stratasys on that and then Mr. Crump. And we were developing these very complex molds that we were doing for uh, uh, hemo, uh, for uh, in vitro uh, flow modeling. So we would, we started getting CT data, MRI data, and this was in 2000, right? So it was a big pain in the butt. That's when we started using Mimics uh, to actually extract, start extracting some of these aortas. And what we developed with this waterwork support 
we were able to create very complex aortas, you know, um, by developing this technique to make them, we actually would dip them in silicone um, and then cure them. And then we would develop and then we would dissolve the material away. And then we would have these compliant vessels, you know, which was kind of crazy, right? Because at that time, now, now it's really easy to print or, you know, some of these with the, the, the new binder jetting technology and everything. But we were actually doing really complex uh, structures, hearts, we were printing hearts. And we were able to use these models to put them into particle image velocimetry, uh, which we were actually doing with lasers and cameras. And we can actually see all the different uh, turbulent flow. So we were really pioneers in this, in this area in early 2000. So we had several patents, we had several journal papers that we did on this, you know, so we were doing really good on the medical side. And when did so it- just with these little FDM 3000, yeah. And, and so all that work kind of came from one machine and, and now you guys have Correct. dozens of, of machines, kind of probably one of the biggest facilities, certainly in the US. Yeah, we have over 50, 60, yeah. How did, uh, kind of, when did it kind of shift and said, okay, like this is a machine, like is a new tool that we have versus like, this is like a industry approach that we can educate students and be research partners with industry. Like was, when did that shift? So that came came later on. The thing that we were really focused on bio, right? So I was really doing developing code for biomodeling using all these uh, softwares to develop these very complex uh, uh, flow models, right? That we we're doing with, uh, we were doing consulting with uh, different doctors. We we're developing uh, tools that they could, the doctors could actually go in and practice with before they would do. So we were doing a lot of pre-surgical modeling too. So that's another area that we that we really got into early on with uh, with local doctors doing a lot of pre-surgical modeling. So that that's what we were doing at that time. We really thought that we were going to be really focused on bio. And this machine allowed us to get the, which is a very prestigious uh, grant that Dr. Wicker got was with the Keck Center. Uh, that's when we got our first million dollars in 2001. And that's why we're considered the Keck Center, okay. right? And with that money, we started buying other technologies, right? So that's how it started exploding, right? Uh, we had the FTM 3000. With that money, we bought an SLA uh, uh, 250. I don't know if you remember those. Uh, with the, you know, this one was really cool because they had the V blade or the recoder, um, you know, so we're able to create a lot of stuff. And, and with that, we just started started growing, you know, uh, uh, just for education. We had a lot of uh, students, you know, we, had, we started teaching classes in additive manufacturing. Uh, I used to teach a winter semester, May semester on biomodeling, right, to teach students to get local data and we would actually develop models and even uh, for pre-surgical planning and also for, for implants. So that, that was, that was really cool. So that's, we started doing a lot of bio. After that, we started getting into hydrogels too, right? So we were started to develop and print. Uh, we have several patents on that in hydrogels, um, in the early 2000s, right? So we were really focused on, but what we started noticing at that time is that it started to get harder to get funding. For, for medical applications, right? 
So that's when we kind of started shifting away from modeling. We had, a, we, had we still have a beautiful uh, cell culture facility here in our center. You know, we have uh, now we have two two centers or not two centers, but two buildings, right? The Keck Center, uh, which we have uh, have the majority of the metal stuff and some polymer stuff, and now we have a downtown facility uh, that's more for teaching and, and that's other grants that Dr. Wicker has been able to get in this, um, you know, throughout time. So yeah, but we start where we started, please. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, finish your, finish your thought there. No, that's what I was going to tell you. That's why we started looking at other avenues for funding, right? Mm -hmm. So from there, we started working with Sandia National Labs. We started getting into electronics, 3D printing, right? Uh, pick and place, circuitry. So we started doing a lot. We have several patents on that early on. Uh, developing direct right uh, with additive manufacturing. Um, and we were successful in that. And then, but what, what happened to us back in 2007, you know, we had the opportunity again. Before that, we were never, we were just in polymers, right? So we had tons of publications in, in uh, polymers, FDM. We had a really, we have a really good relationship with Stratasys. But what happened is when Stratasys you know, we had a good relationship with Stratasys. And what would happen because of our relationship with Stratasys, whatever they would sell, we would actually buy. Right. So if you don't, I don't know if you remember, Stratasys used to sell object before they merged together. So that's when we, we bought our first 333 back in 2005. I forget exactly the date. So we started getting into uh, binder jetting. Right. And then from there, we started also developing materials for binder jet. So we started also doing that. And another thing that really changed, especially my career, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of experiences with the polymers, thermal sets, thermoplastics. But then in 2007, when Stratasys started selling RCAM equipment, we bought one of their RCAM systems. So we've been 2007, we bought a A2. Uh, RCAM A2, and then that's when I kind of delight, you know, I got uh, turned on, you know, and I said, well, I really want to focus on metals. So that's when we started, when we got the A2, we really focused, that, or my shift, you know, we had other professors focusing on polymers, um, but I really wanted to focus on, on metals. And that was my turning point. And for your career, so you had done as a high school student and undergrad, a lot of kind of mechanical design, CAD work. Did you have a proclivity to kind of materials as well? Because I think you have a, your PhD is in materials, right? Correct. So Yeah, so my bachelor's was mechanical, my master's was mechanical. Um, so what we did early on, that, that was what's really cool with the polymer side, you know, we were really developing a lot of new machines. So what was kind of cool about us is that we, we had a, like a, we had SLA 250s, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we would purchase a bunch of these and then we would create our own machine. So we had uh, technologies that we were developing with multi-materials using stereolithography. We had technologies we would get later on, we would buy several FDM 3000s. You know, because what was crazy about that machine was that it was completely open. So you can do your own polymer extrusion, change the different temperatures. We said, this is really cool, you know. Stratus eventually locked that down. 
but because we had a bunch of all these other machines that started buying all these older machines mm-hmm. and started creating our Frankenstein machine <laughs> that you were able to to print on walls, you were able to print on, you know, all different types of surfaces. We started getting into multi-material uh, printing, you know, so we have several patterns on that. Like we said, electronics before, you know, but in 2007, that's when my entire shift, I just wanted to focus on like, said metals and materials i said this is really i i I, there's always going to be room for for plastics right of course you know they're always going to be especially with carbon coming out you know for thermal sets uh fdm stratasys store you know they're really focusing a lot on the higher temperature more durable materials but for me that was the turning point to focus on metals so with the arcan system we did a lot of really cool projects especially early on in 2007, uh, we published a lot. There was not a lot of characterization uh, journals or, uh, you know, so we really focused on that, especially with TIE 6-4. And the unique thing I imagine, somewhat from academia, like that the conventional way that people think about academic research and academia is that generally it's for like really long-term research, right? Like you're looking out five, 10, 30 years almost, but with additive, it seems like it's much more tangible on the cutting edge, right? Like where you're like some of the stuff that you're doing, whether it's medical, whether it's known the the metal space, like that can have an immediate impact in industry. If you develop a new alloy or a new machine system or a new laser parameter approach. So was that appealing to you in terms of kind of staying within the, the the academic kind of center um, at that part of your career. So so it was a little bit. What, what's kind of very different about the Keck Center and other centers with additive? Well, there's several of them, but we we saw that early on this these equi- this these pieces of equipment are very expensive, right? Especially maintaining them. Uh, at that time, we probably already had like twenty. Right, we had uh, even big machines, you know, uh, big FDM machines. We had, uh, you know, we we got the metal system, but also something that we learned early on is to start working with industry. So within the tech center, there's a recharge center that we actually do services for for the outside, and we kind of started that early on. Like I said, we were working a lot with the maquiladoras from Juarez, so we were doing design for them. We were doing analysis, we were doing some quality control. You know, at the time we also had CQL, we had early on, we had micro CT capabilities, right? So we were really a complete, a one-stop shop for a lot of these companies. And that's really what also kind of set us apart. And then also that's what kind of maintained, we were, we were okay in getting grants, but this funding source also would help us to reinvest in ourselves and continue to grow the, the center, right? So, so that what- was a really cool moment. And with those engagements with, was it mostly big companies that you were working with or like a small medium? Like what, what was like a typical kind of well, challenge we, we that most people with, are facing? We would work really closely with the big, big, big companies, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Honeywell's, Galfi's, GE's, you know, we always had really good relationships with them and we would do a lot of different projects with them. Uh, but we would also deal a lot with the low inventors, with the local inventors. So we would always have, uh, we worked with over a hundred companies, 
the inventors will always come in, you know, the inventors, they're, they're, they're a different breed, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, so you always try and help them out as much as you can. And that's what we were early on. That's what we were doing a lot. We were investing a lot in them. Um, sometimes they would pay, sometimes they wouldn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but we would at least feel good about ourselves and help the local economy. That's one of the big things that we would also, also look at a lot. Um, and as this center has really grown and expanded, how has that impacted kind of the, the pull of students, both locally and nationally, kind of getting like for like this specific, like, hey, like they have 60 machines here, like you're not going to find that really anywhere else. Has that impacted kind of the, the types of academic offerings or the types of students that you're getting or interest level in, no. in manufacturing? No, we, we did ask for sure. Um, uh, you know, like it's very, all these different technologies, you know, uh, Dr. Waker started a, um, a accreditation program or, you know, for additive manufacturing. Uh, so now you, you, you get a certificate or a, uh, you know, you take so many classes. And what's really nice about this is that it's really hands-on. So here you get the opportunity to actually touch and play around with the machines. You know, so the certificate program has been going pretty strong. Um, and then also what's nice about it is it, the certificate program is not just for, for students at UTEP, right? We get also other people from industry to be able to come and take the class or the classes to be able to do that. So, so that's the way that it looks. In the center, we have uh, three directors, right, on one level. Um, and each one of us has our, our own uh, research area. So for example, I have like around 15 students under me, masters, PhDs, and, and undergrads. And then so at any given time, there's around 50 students working in the center. And what's really unique about the center is that the students are the ones that touch the machines, right? Even if you're an undergrad, uh, you know how to use an SO, uh, EOS M290. You may also learn, learn how to use an X1 machine, an Inflex, an RCAM system. So the students that we're producing, you know, are very, very hands-on. And that's something that I guess a lot of companies are always looking at, our students for to be able to that because when they go in, you know, they'll, they'll hit the ground running. For sure. And through your career, um, have you always been at UTEP? I mean, you did your undergrad and some of your graduate work there and it's kind of, you're still, you're, you're working there now. You're from campus, but right, kind of, come back, yeah. <laughs> what's uh kind of, can you fill in some of the, the rest of your, your story as well? No, no, correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so with my story, like I said, I did my undergrad. I finished in 2000. I did my, my, my master's in 2005. And then what's kind of funny about me, you know, I kind of, I've always been very business oriented, right? Uh, figuring out, of course, it helps always helped me with getting grants, getting, making contacts, making everything. So I wanted to get an MBA, right? Um, so I was actually almost finished with my MBA and then I had my first son. And then that's when my wife, told me to stop that right so I had to go back to just focusing on engineering but then uh what happened with me you know I had an opportunity with Dr. Wicker and Dr. Murr which he's already we actually still work with him but he's already retired 
they, they actually pretty told me, why don't you just finish or doing a PhD? You know, I was already, I was working in 2000 when I graduated. Uh, right away, I was, I, I got an opportunity to become the manager of the facility, right, the center manager. So from there, from 2000, 2001, when we started uh, to 2013, you know, I was the center manager. So for a long time. And, and in 2013, after, you know, they told me just do your PhD, um, I did it and then I graduated and then I kind of wanted to, you kind of feel that itch, right? Uh, what am I going to do? Should I just stay here for the rest of my life? You know, it would have been a, been a problem. But then I got a really good opportunity from RCAM, you know, to become one of their material scientists. Uh, I was, like I said, in 2007, we were doing a lot of great stuff with the with the RCAM technology, with electron beam melting, we were developing a lot of new alloys, right? Or processes or parameters for new alloys. We were, we did, I've probably done over probably 30, 40 different uh, alloys that we've done or gotten to work with the, the EBM technology. You know? Some some of the hard stuff like tungsten, niobium, refractive alloys, you know, some of the nickel super alloys, uh, and even some of the aluminums. So that expertise that I got in that time, you know, I, I guess can have really good relationship with with RCAM, with uh, especially with with the VP of Research and Development, and then he offered me a job. So I guess I kind of accepted it. Right, it was kind of tough leaving Utah, especially since '97, working for the same professor, right, uh, Dr. Wicker. And then from there, I was actually I left to RCAM and I was stationed at Oak Ridge. National Labs at the NBF for about three years. So there I was developing uh, themes and working with, uh, I was leading their R&D in the U.S. And then also I was working with a bunch of different companies like Honeywell, uh, Pratt & Whitney, which I have really good experience before, GE, you know, to getting their, some of the materials qualified and solving some of their issues. So yeah, so from there to there I was at, uh, uh-huh. And, great, great experience. And then, how? What's the kind of completing the circle? How did you make it back to to UTEP? Oh, so then I got another really good opportunity. Um, you know, unfortunately, at Oak Ridge, I loved Oak Ridge. We still have a house in Oak Ridge, in Tennessee. It's it's a beautiful area. I think I'll probably retire there, or go and live. You know, later on when I retire. Which probably 25 years from now, 30. But but what's going on is from there, I had a good opportunity to go to the Edison Welding Institute, EWI, and become one of their, their technology leaders and additive manufacturing. You know, so it was a really good opportunity. Um, it was dealing with not just EBM technology, but looking at all different technologies, leading their, you know, they had a really good uh, program, the Added Manufacturing Consortium. Right, that's something that I was part of early on in 2009 when it got started. And then, so I decided to go over there, you know. Uh, the opportunity that they had was at Buffalo, New York. So, so I went to Buffalo, New York for about another two and a half, three years, right? I took my entire family there, it was a great opportunity. Uh, eventually I started leading the Added Manufacturing Consortium. I was a director for about two years, two and a half years. And really grew that consortium, you know, it's, it's probably up to, I forget, like 40 members. So we were having a lot of good, 
lot of input there, making a lot, really started getting into uh, uh, F42, ASTM, which I'm still very, very active in. You know, I'm one of their sub chairs for the materials and processes group. And um, yeah, it was a really good, Buffalo, New York is a wonderful place, except when, when it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, unfortunately, my wife uh, kind of told me, you know, we have to too cold for me here, so I'm I'm moving back with or without you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we had I had an opportunity to come back to UTEP. Okay. Thanks to the president and my my advisor, that's where I'm at here. And I've been here for three years again. Fantastic. And and over that time, kind of how have you seen the additive manufacturing industry change? I mean, you've been in it since kind of the, really the beginning and you've operated machines and got to work with a lot of different companies. Are there kind of any trends that you're seeing in 2021? Well, it, yeah, like you said, I've worked with several companies, so it's really interesting, right? So I worked in um, academia, right? So it's very different, you know, especially always looking for funding, right? Uh, then I worked for a private company, which was Archem at National Labs. I previously, I was at Sandia National Labs for about a year or two early on. Uh, so you also get to figure that out, right? Working for the government. Uh, and then I went to EWI for a nonprofit organization, right? So I kind of did the whole spectrum, you know? And, and, and when you look at it, everything is kind of, there, there's always, my, my role hasn't really changed that much. It's always looking for projects, looking for funding, mentoring people, you know, uh, doing additive, improving. And, and over that period, of what, going back to your question, you know, there is a lot of stuff that has changed over the years, right? Uh, new machines, of course, uh, newer technology, right? A lot of people really thinking that, uh, that they were gonna be in production, a lot of investment, you know, in uh, companies go that really want to focus on production or do the production for everybody else, right? Uh, a lot of these companies, a lot of money being invested. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way for uh, right? But I, because especially, well, there's several several factors, right? I believe that the industry is not there yet with their their products that they want to go into production. There still has to be more development. There still has to be more. Uh, advantages, you know, or, you know, or the bottom line. And I think eventually it'll, it'll get there. Uh, right. And then of course, COVID didn't really help much, right. That the entire uh, fleet <laughs> of airplanes was, was uh, grounded for such a long time. But I think it's going to start picking up for sure. Especially with the newer technologies, like you saw with laser powder bed fusion, uh, all these new, they're getting more reliable, you know, better materials, better control. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot more data coming out, but we still have to figure out what to do with it. All right. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's looking better. And the other good thing is that uh, it's not just laser powder bit fusion or powder bit fusion. You know, there's other technologies that are also coming up, like laser, direct energy deposition, wire, you know, so there's a whole... Uh, broad spectrum of new technologies that are that are started that people are actually starting to look at for production and with this kind of growing trend to kind of 
productionized additive manufacturing. I think more and more people are seriously considering it in terms of some of the supply chain issues over the last year with COVID. Are you seeing kind of from the government side, I mean, there's been an executive order from the president about kind of enhancing supply chain with not necessarily with additive, but in general, um, are you seeing that kind of filter down through the, the university structure, given all the manufacturing capabilities you guys have? Uh, we have, you know, especially in a lot of different calls. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of opportunities for, 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 yeah, for added manufacturing. You know, you see, uh, I'm still trying to figure out more about, see what's going to happen, like with SBIRs, STTRs. You know, we also work with a lot of small companies and very successful um, getting phase ones and phase twos. Uh, but I, I do definitely believe that there's going to be more and more funding, uh, especially in the uh, Department of Energy, right, uh, for added manufacturing opportunities. Uh, the Department of Defense has been great for, for many years. You know, you can't complain, but I think you're going to start seeing a little bit of a shift from Department of Defense to the Department of Energy. And of course, NASA. NASA has always been pretty, especially in the last couple of years there's been more NASA funding too. And what do you see from kind of the workforce side? I mean, you guys train engineers on a daily basis is, um, do you see kind of the, what's the workforce equation look like for, for you guys? Is there enough jobs in the added manufacturing center for your graduates or is that, is there a lag or what's the, where's the supply? Where's the demand? No, well, we have a really good relationship with Lockheed Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Lockheed Martin hires, well, we, we have, well, the mechanical engineering is kind of unique here at the university. Uh, I think last year we had over 1,500 students just in mechanical engineering, you know, so uh, it's been pretty, been pretty successful. Uh, and what, what we see in, at UTEP is we, Majority like eighty percent of our students go to Lockheed Martin. It's kind of crazy, or a big chunk. Um, and then also, what we're starting to see, like all my my students, the ones that have been graduated, uh, they go into industry and they they do find added manufacturing jobs. Right. Okay. So they might go to Lockheed. They might go to National Labs. Uh, right. They might go to machine manufacturers. Right. So, so there's always a strong demand. That's fantastic. And, and I think as it continues to, to evolve, especially with the kind of excitement around manufacturing and investment, um, the, uh, at least some of the things we're seeing is that the appeal for manufacturing where it's, you're using cool machines that have lasers and you're doing 3d design. Like it's not kind of, you're, typical or stereotypical perception of what manufacturing is. It's a little bit different now with some of these new machines and uh, printing with metal and welding. And uh, it just, it looks different than it did 30 years ago, at least in the the real world. Something also that we're really focused on um, here at UTEP and we, you know, and we've been very successful early on um, is we've been doing a lot of training, you know? So we also, you know, we have the certificate program, but we also do training for the Department of Defense. So we are with America Makes. We're one of their uh, training hubs, I guess, you know. 
we have uh, we pretty much trained from Saudi Arabia to uh, all the different types of uh, bases, right? From from the army, the Marines. So we actually that's something that we do. We take uh, well because of COVID, we've been doing it a, a lot online. Uh, but we actually go to the bases. We take machines. We do a lot of hands-on training for the Department of Defense. You know, and last year we received uh, some funding, which we, now we call the Drive AM program. Uh, in this program, now we're also focusing not just on Department of Defense, but we're also focusing on soldiers that are coming out. Like, for example, Paso is a big, Fort Bliss is here, you know, one of the biggest bases, White Sands Missile Range. So there's a lot of uh, military that are coming out of the military, right? And then we're all giving them an option to learn more about it manufacturing so they can also start getting into uh, the industry. That's fantastic. So that's something that we're going to start pushing really hard. Very cool. Awesome. Well, is there any other kind of exciting things kind of happening that either in 2021 or as we come out of COVID that you'd like to highlight for what's happening in your career or at UTEP? I mean, tons of stuff going on, it sounds like. No, no. Yeah, there's tons of stuff going on, you know. Uh, it's good that we're starting to look like we're starting to open. Like, you know, we just saw each other at month. I thought that was a really good uh, event. A very well attended, very well organized. You know, they did a really good job. Um and I, I think, yeah, more more conferences are going to start popping up again. I think in July uh, or June, I have to be at the uh, AMPM, the PowderMet conference. That one's also going to be in Florida, right? And then Rapid, we're going to have Rapid. And, and we'll see. Unfortunately, we just had last week, or this week, we had the ASTM ISO efforts uh, to uh, meeting, right? Uh, we had a really good uh, turnout. Unfortunately, it was virtual. It was supposed to be in Colorado that got canceled. And then the one in this fall that was supposed to be in Munich that also got canceled. You know, now it's going to be virtual, but yeah, but hopefully everybody starts getting vaccinated, right? And everybody starts uh, getting together again. Sure. Yeah, so I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a lot. We're going to hopefully get back to normal soon. And once we do that, you'll start seeing again a lot of added manufacturing. So my last question, my last question for you is kind of if you you kind of put your uh, yourself in the shoes of someone kind of starting their engineering or manufacturing career, may have a little bit of interest in in three D printing. Do you what advice would you give them? Are there specific technologies they should learn or skill sets? Kind of, well, well, something that I said, and I've always, you know, this, I always, whenever I can, I always say it, is that when, with additive manufacturing, right, when we thought that everybody was going to have a 3D printer in the garage, um, one of the biggest issues that people lacked, um, and, and that's something that I learned early on, was that you really need to learn how to do CAD, right, or design. If, if you don't have, if you really want to get into additive manufacturing, um, I think you have to have a good, strong, you know, you should be able to use SolidWorks, Autodesk, you know, uh, Fusion 360, uh, at least to be able to, to, to learn what to print. 
Uh, and that's something that I learned early on. And then in 2007, 2008, something else that I learned, especially you're going to get into metals, you have to have a good uh, materials background too, at least to try and understand what's going on. Because uh, a part just doesn't print itself. A part just doesn't uh, qualify itself. You know, you really have to understand the nitty gritty to find out exactly what's going on. And that's what, uh, what really will help you become successful in some of these technologies, you know, to really understand and also ask questions why, right? Not just it looks good, but there's tons of voids, <laughs> not the correct microstructure, you know, you can, everything's wrong because you started with the wrong powder, site distribution, you know, you started with the wrong chemistry. So there's a lot of stuff that you have to really, really understand to be able to, to, to be successful. You know, it's not just, if you're going to sell parts, uh, you can sell parts, but you have to be, know exactly what you're selling. All right. If you're selling machines, same thing. You have to really have the background and understand. And also be able to not just ask why, but also answer a lot of these questions. For sure. The good thing is that there's a lot of people out more out there with a lot more experience now, right? That they've been using these systems. It's not like uh, when it used to be, or what I used to, something else that I always tell everybody, right? And this would happen to us. You know, we were designing machines early on in the 2000s, right? We were just building cool stuff. You know, we didn't really care uh, as long as they printed. We were mechanical engineers, right? Uh, as long as they look cool, the pencil testing, okay, they're okay, they were decent. But then what really changed everything, especially in metals, uh, mechanical engineers were developing the machines, they were putting everything together. But then when the metallurgists or material scientists came in, into the equation, that's when everything started to really, really work. You know, so so that's probably that's one of the reasons also I picked um, material science, because that's, you get the whole feeling of what you're you're actually doing and knowledge yeah awesome well i second that thought as a as a materials engineer so correct <laughs> yeah awesome cool well frank thank you so much for joining the show it's a great conversation and uh look forward to seeing you again at rapid and other conferences this year for sure definitely that'll be perfect perfect right, Mike? well thank you so much all right thank you